This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manhattan Brewing Company. Manhattan Brewing Company is located at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Quality, community, and education are Manhattan Brewing Company's three pillars, and we are super excited to have them back for their second year as the title sponsor of the Short Side Option Podcast. With nearly 20 years of collective experience in the craft beer industry, Jake, Adam, and Garrett are focused on brewing and serving high-quality craft beer in a family-friendly atmosphere in the heart of downtown Manhattan. Manhattan is their home, and they want to bring the best possible beer experience and education to the wonderful people of Manhattan, creating a place for everyone to come out and have a good time with friends and cultivate a craft beer culture that Manhattan can be proud of. Be sure to follow them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Manhattan Brewing and their website at www.mhkbeer.com to stay up to date on all the latest events going on at the brewery. Some great stuff there. And on this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast, Dilo and I look back at K-State's 48-31 win over West Virginia and preview K-State's matchup with KU in the Sunflower Showdown. Kansas State has beaten KU 13 straight times, and the only thing in the way of Kansas State punching their ticket for a spot in the Big 12 title game is getting by the Jayhawks. We'll break it all down and get you up to speed on this matchup as K-State looks to make it 14 in a row against KU. So all of this and a whole lot more in this uh, episode of the Short Side Option. So let's go ahead and get into it. This is the Short Side Option. to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon, it's Dilo. And we look back at K-State's 48-31 win against the West Virginia Mountaineers last Saturday, a game that uh, K-State was able to really seemingly be in control of for, for most of the game. Uh, the first quarter was a little bit back and forth as K-State was able to give up some uh, big plays that uh, allowed West Virginia to get right back in to the game after K-State got out to a 14-0 lead. Uh, but after halftime, uh, K-State took a 41-25 to lead going into halftime, and uh, they, it never got much closer than that uh, as K-State rolls to a 48-31 victory, moving their record to 8-3 and overall, 6-2 and in conference play. And uh, they are in position uh, to be one of the two teams in Arlington, Texas, uh, one of the teams we know for sure is, is uh, Texas Christian, and uh, K-State looks in prime position to oppose them in, in Arlington here on the first week of December. So, Deli, let's get you in here. Uh, how, how are you, partner? I'm great. Uh, I have a belly full of uh, Thanksgiving turkey, and um, I'm, it should be an exciting weekend of college football, uh, especially for K-State. Chance to punch their ticket to Arlington the first visit to Arlington, perhaps, for Kansas State, uh, playing for a Big 12 championship game. First yeah. time appearing in the Big 12 championship game since, uh, well, in close to 20 years. Yeah, um, yeah. And so this is something that's a little new for this era of college football, but we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and you know, we're, when we're recording this podcast, we're watching Baylor in Texas right now. Baylor just missed a field goal here with five minutes and 40 seconds left. K-State's able to punch their ticket to Arlington if Baylor's able to upset Texas here in, in Austin today. Uh, but, of course, K-State wants to take uh, take care of their own business 
and uh, clinched that spot in the Big 12 title game with a win over Kansas on Saturday. So, Dilo, before we get to the the, uh, the Sunfeller showdown here, so to speak, uh, we're going to uh, look back at this West Virginia game. Yep. And, uh, you know, K-State, this is the first game that Will Howard uh, has started at K-State where he knew he was going to be the guy all week. And so did the opposing team, right? You know, with with uh, that whole situation uh, with Adrian Martinez not being healthy. Now, I look at this West Virginia game, and I, K-State came out exactly looking. You couldn't have asked them to come out offensively looking any better than, than what they did, uh, having scored uh, touchdowns on their first four drives uh, with Will Howard. And, of course, there was the interception return for a touchdown from Sincere Mason uh, mixed in there. But the, the K-State offense really could not be stopped uh, throughout the, the first half by this West Virginia defense. And I thought this was going to be a matchup going into it that K-State would have a lot of uh, success on offense. And it, it didn't take long uh, for me to say, hey, this is going about the way I think it should. Yeah, and of those first four drives, it's not like they were kind of those classic K-State grinder type drives. The, you know, the longest drive of, of any of those four first touchdowns was six plays. So K-State gets to a spot there in the, really just at the start of the second quarter, where, um, you know, they look up and see that they have 35 points, seven of which came off of uh, off the interception return. But K-State had only run 18 plays by that point. Yeah. And so, and they had a lot to show for it. Um, so an efficient first four drives, uh, some coming on the ground with the DJ Giddens long run, but a lot through the air with uh, Will Howard finding uh, targets all over the field, especially the boy from Waterloo. Yeah, Ben Senate, the senator. Yeah. Control of the Senate. Yeah. And, you know, I want to go back here to Will Howard. The president pro temp. Yeah, the pro temp. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with Ben Senate uh, having emerged here these last couple of games, we need to start talking about the rise of, of Senate. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Um, you know, we've our, our group has had a little bit of an inside joke since the Tulane game where K-State's offense was a little directionless. We were running a lot of the shovel pass concepts, and, and one of them was to Ben. Yeah, one of them was to Ben. And, and it right. just seems so absurd at the time that why, are, why is the Ben Senate shovel pass uh, something a, that, that a we're, piece of our yeah, offense. Yeah. And so, but really over the second half of this season, Ben Sennett has been one of K-State's most reliable pass catchers and, and maybe the most reliable pass catcher. Um, he's really used his big body and his frame to be able to get good position on, on defensive backs and just made himself a big target for Will Howard. And he's become one of Will Howard's favorite targets. But I thought the the Baylor game especially was where he had his real breakout um, as far as I'm concerned. But that continued last week against West Virginia where he had, uh, had another good day. Yeah, and you know, I looked to at uh, what I wanted to go to to Will Howard here. And I thought it was really a, a good opportunity for him to, to face some adversity. Where he, where I mentioned K State gets an interception return for a touchdown by uh, by Sincere Mason. Uh, well, West Virginia is able to get one uh, as well there with uh, 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 Malachi Ruffin getting into the end zone after picking off 
uh, Will Howard. It was great to see him come back just right right away there and come back out and you know, hey, is this the first time we see a little bit of adversity? Are are things gonna go south for Will? Not at all. He he shook it off and, and continued to run that offense and and have some great command of it. So great to see what you've seen from him. He, his his line on the day, um, gosh. 19 of 27 for 294 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. You, you, now you look at this and you um, you look at what, what Will Howard's been able to do. You see a guy who's poised. You see a guy who's really performing at a super high level. Yeah, I mean it's it's um, just another just another day at the office for Will Howard. Really, I mean this was a game where he threw his, his second interception of the season, and I think. Most people are, I don't know, at least I am willing to kind of write off that first one against TCU where he was come back from an injury and it was just kind of a um, a furious charge there. But, yeah, not a great decision there on the interception. But otherwise, I mean, you look at it, 19 of 27 for 294 yards and two touchdowns. Um, got sacked for the first time all season against mm-hmm. uh, West Virginia, which, how about that? That in... Will Howard's four games this year, he's only been sacked one time. Yeah. Uh, for a guy who's taken a lot of snaps, he's dropped back uh, over 100 times. Um, and it only take one, one sack. That's a credit both to the offensive line and Will Howard finding a way to uh, be present in the pocket and, and avoid any of those big loss plays. But, like I said, just another day at the office for uh, Will Howard and really developing into a quarterback that – Coach Kleinman trusts and offensive coordinator Klein trusts, but again, it's for fans when you see him drop back, you, you can have a level of confidence that he's in control and that he himself is confident. And even if things don't go K State's way, there's usually not going to be anything bad that happens. Decision making is what it comes down to for me. Is just a, a guy who looks poised back there, a guy that looks like, and it's the cliche that we've heard, you know, uh, for a million years now. The game slows down for the for somebody. You're really seeing that take place, and and uh, you know, a game that uh, with, with West Virginia, I think it's it's not a defense anyone that, that anyone is going to really incite a lot of fear in anyone. Uh, but it's a defense that uh, Will Howard has been able to was able to carve up and, and have a lot of success. I do want to get to the uh, the rushing tech. K State's led by DJ Giddens, twelve carries for seventy eight yards uh, and a touchdown uh, for the Junction City product. JC, yeah, in the house, the Blue Jays. That's right. Uh, he he has a really nice game. K State runs the ball forty two times for one hundred forty three yards. That number is three and a, a little under three and a half yards a carry. That's not very good. But in a lot of what K-State was doing, running the ball, is just kind of a way to get out of there, right? You know, you're just kind of keeping that clock rolling. And, um, you know, K-State had some success with some long runs. DJ Giddens' 49-yard touchdown run was, uh, was certainly one of those. And uh, he's a guy that, as you get into more of his uh, – later on into his uh, first season with K-State – He's really a guy that I think, I, at least I do, maybe maybe you don't see the full playbook necessarily available to him, but he's a guy I have a lot of confidence in when he's in the game. You feel like he's going to uh, keep a hold of the ball. You feel like he's going to run hard, and uh, he provides a nice little dimension there for Kansas State. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of ascended to that Joe Irvin role uh, that, that Joe Irvin had last season where it's 
a little bit of a change of pace. Um, a guy that you probably feel more confident in on, on short yard situations, but a guy who certainly in his own right can can bust off and make a big play if a big play is there to be made. I mean, Giddens had his uh, 49-yard scamper for the touchdown there in the in the first quarter, uh, which he looked pretty good doing that. And um, just giving Deuce Vaughn a chance to get a break, getting him to the point where he doesn't necessarily have to carry the ball 25-plus times a game uh, for K-State's rushing attack to be effective. And I think it was effective on Saturday. Um, you know, there you mentioned the low numbers, and there were quite a few stuffs. But again, that's what teams are still trying to do against K-State, where it's, okay, we'll... We're just not going to let Deuce Vaughn beat us. We're just not going to let the running back beat us. Mm-hmm. And Will Howard's proving, okay, uh, you can do that. And that's that's what West Virginia really did a pretty good job of on Saturday, holding K-State to 3.5 yards per carry, holding Deuce Vaughn especially to 67 yards on 22 carries. Um, but then K-State's offense puts up 42 points. Um, and so it, it's truly a pick-your-poison sort of deal here where if, if you want to sell your soul to stop this these running backs, you're free to do that, and you, you can stop them. But in order to do that, you're, you're giving up uh, space on the back end where Will Howard's certainly capable to beat you there. And we talked about Ben Sennett, but Malik Knowles. Yeah, that's who I was wanting to get to. He's, he's really had um, – the game against Baylor uh, was a little bit quiet for him, but – in three of his last four games, uh, over 90 yards receiving. So he's kind of finding, seeming to find that connection with Will Howard as as a as kind of one of his trusted targets there on the outside. But really, what makes Malik Knowles, um, I think, what can make him a, a really uh, good receiver is what he's able to do after he has the ball in his hands. And you saw a little bit of that yep. uh, against uh, West Virginia, and of course also against Texas earlier this year. Uh, look for him to have continue having those those type of opportunities because uh, w- with what K State's able to do offensively right now, you're able to find those uh, those openings in the pass game and, and Malik Knowles is more than good enough to, uh, to to make you pay there. That's right, and so it's a it's an extremely balanced offense right now. Um, multiple ways to beat you uh, in this offense, and that I just think takes K State to a, to the next level. Um, and provides multiple threats and can find ways to exploit the weakness on your defense if, if there is one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's. Uh, anything else you want to mention on the offensive side of the ball? Because I think the story to this game is outside. I mean, you heap praise on Will Howard, but I think really the, the story of this game is the defense having some struggles and also uh, suffering another injury in the secondary uh, with Sincere Mason being out for the rest of the season? Yeah, that's uh, it's a tough spot. And we saw the, the safety issues kind of rear their heads on yeah. Saturday, getting burned a couple times over the over the top. You have guys who this season, well, one guy in particular, I thought Josh Hayes, had probably his worst game of the season yeah. on Saturday where not only was there miscommunications or coverage breakdowns or whatever you want to call it that uh, gave West Virginia big plays in the vertical passing game, but also just the little things like tackling. I mean, I yeah. thought I thought that was uh, pretty leaky on Saturday, too. And um, for a unit that had been pretty darn strong for K-State throughout the year, um, 
injuries now starting to really become apparent with Kobe Savage out. Uh, you mentioned Sincere Mason out. Um, and so it's um, back to the drawing board a little bit. And mm-hmm. this week is, we'll, we'll talk about it, but um, it, it, it can be a problem this week, but against TCU uh, and their very vertical passing game, um, Casey's going to have to shore that up if K-State does indeed find its way to Arlington. But uh, KU Jayhawks are, are certainly a threat, a big play threat over the top two. They've, they've had some success there. Yeah, absolutely. And so, nonetheless, uh, it, was a, it was an issue on Saturday for the defense. Yeah, it, it was. Let's go ahead and hop into, uh, into the, uh, the defensive side of the ball here. Uh, I'm going to lead off with, uh, you know, last week it was um, last week it was Drake Cheatham that we led off with, with his honors as uh, Big 12 uh, Newcomer of the Week. This week it's Brendan Mott, who is uh, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week after an awesome game. Eight tackles, five solo, three sacks. Uh, and this is a guy that we've mentioned too. And we always seem to bring him up as a guy who is a depth piece, uh, is somebody that, um, you know, is able to give guys like Khalid Duke and Nate Matlack and Phenol Alexander Duke, uh, Uzama a break every now and then, but, uh, don't blink too, or don't, uh, take your eye off him too long because, uh, Brendan Mott's turned into a, a really a big contributor here for this Kansas State team. And uh, you see with his performance uh, on Saturday what he's able to kind of do when given those opportunities. He's always been solid, but you saw some flashes of something that could be really special for him. Well, yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head that coming into this year we were thinking, man, who, whoever's opposite of Felix is really going to have uh, a chance to have a big season just because of the attention that Felix draws on the offensive line and from opposing offensive coordinators. And, and we thought it was going to be – Oh, Khalid Duke is is going to be that guy, or um, or Nate Matlack, mm-hmm. and Matlack I think is I don't know whether it's been an injury thing or what, but he's had quite a kind of a quiet year mm-hmm. um, as far as I'm concerned. But Brendan Mott has really exploded onto the scene. Uh, he's a guy who's really just been all over the field and and certainly a sure tackler. Now six sacks on the season. Drew, look look at his picture. Look how skinny he's listed at six five two forty. But this picture is taken like from like two thousand eighteen or two thousand nineteen, and he looks like a twig, kind of. Yeah. Like that's and that that's I, the reason why I want to point that out to you is because that's you know kind of how you see even with like Ben Sennett, right? You know, a guy, uh, Brendan Mott out of Iowa City, Iowa, um, Ben Sennett out of Alto, or um, excuse me, Waterloo, Iowa. You've got guys that have been in the program for a little bit that are really starting to f- fill out physically, it, you know, and be able to develop into to probably something that they might not even have known that they could really develop into. Yeah. And that's just with some time in the program. And uh, but when you look at this guy and you say, wait a minute, he's six five two forty. He certainly doesn't look six five two forty in that picture. Uh, but he's been a guy that has been really. Uh, more than just a, a quality uh, depth piece and a, and a guy that backs up uh, Felix Duque and Khalid Duke and those guys, but a, a very talented player in his own right. Uh, to another guy I want to mention, uh, we mentioned Sincere Mason. He did have the, the touchdown, um, pit, uh, the pick six return there, and then he did leave for the rest uh, of the game, and, and it's, we got the news that he's out for the season. 
in terms of who's going to be filling in for him, you've got guys like T.J. Smith, who's played a little bit of football for Kansas State, and then also D.J. Payne, who as a uh, as a freshman has gotten on the field some this year. To me, that's going to be a big question mark going forward. I think you've got two guys that are pretty solid back there with Josh Hayes and Drake Cheatham, but that third safety position uh, for a defense that has to have um, those safeties in tune and playing well, who do you look for uh, in terms of whether if it's – I mentioned VJ uh, Payne and uh, TJ Smith – which of those guys, or is there maybe somebody else that I, I should be looking at to maybe kind of fill in for, for Sincere Mason Histead? Yeah, I think you got it right. I mean, I think it's it's TJ and, and VJ. Uh, how about that? Yeah, TJ and VJ. The J bros. Yeah. And it's VJ Payne, not VJ Singh, just to avoid any confusion there. Well, they are related. Yes. Um, yes. But, yeah, I mean, I think that TJ Smith, and VJ Payne are both going to be kind of filling in on on sort of a rotational basis. You know, TJ Smith is a guy who, in his freshman year, I thought was going to be um, a hugely important part of this K-State defense here as we move on into the future. Um, now, he got injured his freshman year, of course, and and had um, kind of an up-and-down year last year, and he's, he's really mostly been a a guy they've used very rotationally this year, but somebody who should know the the defense and the scheme and what defense coordinator Klanderman wants, wants out of them. Um, and so I think it's nice to have that kind of experience there um, and somebody who can just understand his role and fill in. But I, like you, I, I definitely think that uh, Sincere Mason and uh, Kobe Savage – Missing those two guys in the rotation is, yeah. is going to be painful. But if there's a spot on this defense that uh, has my concern here in these last two or potentially three games, uh, it's definitely that safety spot. Yep, absolutely. I think so, too. And, you know, I think also, too, with what you might see K-State do a little bit is, is to uh, find ways maybe to kind of adjust that defense to maybe where you're giving more two safety looks uh, necessarily too. I, I, I'll be interested to see kind of what they do because the safeties are such a, a, a big part of, of the uh, of the three three five defense. And if there might be a weak link that you're not really able to, to shore up super well, maybe it's dropping another guy down uh, on the line of scrimmage and going at kind of to an, a you know more of a four four three type look. Uh, I'll be interested to see what they do. I doubt they do that. I mean, I think we're this far into the season. You've seen almost, I think, exclusively just about uh, the three down, three through five look. Yep. Yeah, and I don't think you're going to change too much. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think... To the, to the end of the season. And with a guy like TJ Smith, his third-year guy in the program, I think you have to... Um, recognize that... I, I don't think that's worth changing the entire defensive scheme to avoid that, uh, especially in a week. Um, and so I think they plug in one of those guys. I, I'd be surprised if we went to a two-safety look, not to say that we couldn't. If you want to get a guy like, um, I'll move Jalen Pickle inside with yep. with uh, Huggins and, and run a four-man front, yeah, you could do that. But I just think this deep into the season, reverting back to that, um, it's not quite as simple as, 
it is on like NCAA 14 yeah, or something yeah, where it's sure. just like, Oh, let's run the nickel this week. Yeah. Um, just because that's not what this defense is and it's not what this defense knows. Um, so no, I think, I think we still see the, the three safety looks and roll with TJ and VJ. Um, but yeah, that's, it could be an issue, but really, I mean, I just think it's a level of communication. I mean, getting, beat over the top that many times. You, you got three safeties back there. Yep. If somebody's running downfield, don't let them get behind you. I mean, that's that's the first rule of, of being a safety is don't let them get behind you. Yeah. And so uh, I just think they have to be cognizant of preventing those big plays. But it's easier said than done because we mentioned last week that West Virginia has a running game that's not bad. Um, and this week against KU, we'll get into it. But... Uh, they have a running game that's a lot better than not bad. And so in this 3-3-5 setup, the safeties are relying – you're relying some of the safeties to come up and pitch in in the run game where they can. Um, and mixed with the play action, which is where they got beat on Saturday a couple times, um, that's that leaves you vulnerable. And so it's a big job in the 3-3-5, the safety spot. Um, and you have to have good safeties back there. But if T.J. Smith isn't ready to – fill in at this point I don't know really what his role is moving forward yeah and I think that's a good this gives you a chance to see what you might have with him in, yeah and where he, his feet are really to the fire here so uh two things I want to mention here uh K-State's defense a little shaky in the first half kind of got burned over the top as we as we mentioned a few times they do tighten it up in the second half and we've seen that happen uh, a couple times this year where where defense is able to uh to kind of get things uh, a little bit more uh, under wraps after halftime. Only give up six points in the second half uh, on only 112 yards of offense for Western Virginia uh, after the break. So uh, Klanderman able to uh, to make some of the necessary adjustments there and just also playing a little bit better fundamental football in terms of just saying things that you're not necessarily going to be, be coached on, on over halftime. It's just making tackles. Uh, making tackles and just... Uh, you know, playing clean football. So a lot better in the second half. I wanted to ask you a little bit about Deuce Vaughn. And this is the only uh, this is the only other thing I have b- before uh, we can move on to KU. And, of course, if you have some things you want to mention too, feel free. But uh, Deuce Vaughn, a little bit of a quiet game for him. Um, he runs the ball here for um, – as I get him pulled up. He runs the ball here for 22 times for 67 yards of carry. I, I'm looking at him, and I don't know if he's quite necessarily healthy. Um, are, are you seeing anything that maybe over the last couple of games that maybe give you something to, to say that, oh, man, I don't know, maybe he's maybe a little bit banged up here as we get in the last couple of games of the season. It didn't seem like he's quite as his explosive self, even though he did get in the end zone uh, for K-State's first touchdown. No, I mean, I, I'm sure that he's banged up uh, just because it's this is the 12th game yeah. of the season. Yeah. Um, and he's carried – his biggest load of his career, probably by quite a bit. Sure. I'm going to get that pulled up, actually. Um, but, no, I don't think it's necessarily a health issue. Maybe it is. But, um, yeah, so he's... Yeah, what? so he's at 220 carries right now, which he is... Um, you know, it's interesting. He's only got six touchdowns this season. Yeah. Which is a, a little bit uh, of a, of a uh, step back there for him. He had 18 last year, uh, but he's been good in the receiving game, 38 catches there. Uh, but 220 carries for 1,148 yards, a little over 
a carry. I I just don't think it's a it's a health issue. I, I think that maybe some of it is the offensive line just isn't quite giving them the holes. I think it's defenses getting the option to pick their poison, and they've been opting for uh, letting K-State take their chances through the air. Um, I mean, when you have Will Howard, who's regularly hovering around 300 yards a game, mm-hmm. um, I think that tells you a little bit that defenses are willing to live and die with those opportunities and just, like I say, sell your soul to stop the run. Yeah. Um, and defensive coordinators being a little slow to react to. I'm not sure that's the best recipe anymore to beat this K-State offense if K-State's putting up 40 points a game uh, under those circumstances. And so, I, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I, I think the offensive line hasn't been a great run-blocking unit this year. Um, I think that... Uh, defenses are really devoting a lot of the secrets out on Deuce Vaughn at this point and has been for a while. Um, and so that's why I think his production isn't quite as uh, lethal as it's been in the past couple years. Um, but now I, I don't think it's necessarily a health issue beyond normal wear and tear. Just normal wear and tear. And, you know, I, I would say that's the same thing, too. I don't think that there's... Uh, because, I mean, you still see him out there late in the games, running the, run the ball. Yeah. So, I mean, um, he better not be hurt. If he, because if that's the case, they need to get him out of the game a lot quicker. Uh, well, and he still looks pretty dynamic. Oh, my. Oh, and I have a scoop and score for that good old Baylor line. Yeah, the Baylor line. The Baylor defensive line. That's here, right. In this case, yeah. uh, get a scoop and score. So, Baylor hops in front. This is some live breaking news here on the short side option. I, I We were saying this. We just had lunch a little bit ago. When we lost, when losing to Quinn Ewers, and just a- having seen him play after uh, the K State game, and even before the K State game, it's like the only game he just played good in about two months is against Kansas State, and uh, that's one that for me is going to be a tough one to kind of get over uh, having lost that one. But needless to say, now Baylor uh, jumps in front here, twenty five, twenty four. It looks like they're going to line up and go for two here. I'll be eager to see who Quinn Ewers blames for that one. Yeah, he seems uh, that he seems like to uh, cast some stones at the offensive line, the wide receivers. Uh, yeah, well, anyone somebody needs to tell Quinn that when you point your finger at somebody, get three more pointing back. That's there. right. That, that's a good life lesson, right there. Yeah. So, uh, but I wanted to get back to as we were we're chatting about Deuce Vaughn here. Um, you know, I think that. As good of a season as he's had, and even though the, the touchdown discrepancy might not be right there uh, from what he did last year with 18 rushing touchdowns, still uh, you know, a, a player that I don't know if there's a player in the conference, maybe other than B, maybe B. John Robinson uh, for Texas, that I think defensive coordinators spend so much time devoting to, to stopping their game plan, whether it's Deuce Vaughn. Because uh, you have to worry about him, obviously, in the running uh, in the running game there, and then also in the uh, the passing game, which he does a great job in as well. So when you look at those two aspects of it, uh, for me, you might look at the the touchdown discrepancy, and you know a couple games that he's been held held in check here against some defenses where you think he might have a little bit better success. I look for him to have a big game on Saturday. Yeah, I think so too. But one thing that Deuce Vaughn gives you that even and this doesn't show up in any box score necessarily is his threat on play action Um, because that that contributes to it too and and this is what we talked about over these last few weeks the the synergy of the Will Howard offense um, just makes K-State a lot better Um, and that's because when you can 
punish teams downfield, whether it's to Malik, whether it's to Vincent, whether it's to Brooks or Warner, whomever. Um, that recipe gets a lot easier when defenses have been told all week to make sure number 22 um, isn't the uh, isn't the guy to, to kill you. And when Will Howard shows play action to Deuce Vaughn, then all of a sudden you see safeties, you see cornerbacks, and you see linebackers all hesitate because we need four guys to tackle him. Um, and so I think we saw that on Saturday, and I think we'll continue to see that the rest of the year. And I think that demonstrates, too, why he's maybe not putting up the crazy numbers that we're used to him putting up, and that's because defenses are – he just has their attention. It's it's not as if it's a um, Kendra Miller situation at TCU where he's yeah. – you know, it's Quentin Johnston and, and Max Duggan, and watch out for that threat. That's the priority for the defenses facing TCU. And then, oh, yeah – by the way, here's Kendra Miller or that DeMarcado or whoever they have running the ball um, who can also pose a threat. It's kind of reverse for K-State that it's Deuce Vaughn is their bread and butter. And then it's, oh yeah, also Malik Knowles is a pretty talented wide receiver. Ben Sennett's a pretty talented tight end. And not for nothing, Will Howard can give him the ball. Yeah. Um, and so it's, I, re- I just really think it's a function of um, defensive coordinators picking where they prioritize their focus uh, in the week leading up to it and on the play-by-play situational uh, calls that defenses are having to uh, react to on the field. Let's uh, let's wrap up here on, on West Virginia. One other thing I wanted to mention here, Ty Zedner. Yeah. Two field goals, from one from 46, the other a career long for him, 53 yards. And then, uh, you know, he wasn't too busy uh, when it came to punting uh, on, on, on Saturday. But he, the one he did uh, was, a, was a beauty, 56 yards. He recently was named a semifinalist for the guy, uh, the Ray Guy Award for the, uh, the best punter in the country. Uh, he has really brought it. And I don't think it's – it maybe get lost in the wash a little bit. But he has really provided uh, some much-needed stability uh, to the K State kicking game, uh, because when he's come in, he hasn't missed he hasn't missed a kick yet. He hasn't missed a field goal. He hasn't missed an extra point. Yeah, tr- a perfect seven for seven. And uh, with what he's been able to do, it gives you K State a little bit more confidence. And you know, I'll be honest too, uh, I wasn't really quite sure what he might have for for distance. Uh, but when he he was able to boot a fifty three yarder, and uh, that gives you an idea about the kind of leg he has. So. Uh, loved what you saw from uh, from him uh, because during these last couple of games, if a game comes down to uh, to a field goal or uh, or maybe a longer field goal, even at that, uh, you feel pretty good about who you have back there now. Yeah, and you know that that field goal that he kicked on Saturday, the long one uh, for fifty three yards, that was on a that was on a pretty quick little drive from K State. That was where. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Casey shown that ability this year. You know where they've gone and uh, were were able to put something together in the two minute offense. Right, and and that really started when West Virginia got the football because uh, K State was calling timeouts on that West Virginia drive on uh, second down after first down. It's second down and nine from the West Virginia twenty six yard line. K State's calling the timeout. Uh, eventually, it, it gets to a fourth and thirteen with a buck twenty left. West Virginia punts to the Kansas State thirty five yard line. Um, and K-State marches right down the field, uh, getting all the way down to the 
28-yard line and then taking a pretty bad sack, mm-hmm. the sack we talked about earlier that, yeah. that made it a pretty tough field goal for Ty Zintner. But nonetheless, K-State got uh, three points there, uh, big three points going into halftime to stretch it out to 16 going into the break. And, yeah, just a really impressive last two minutes there by this K-State team, both on defense to, to force them back and, and make them punt, and the K-State offense to march down the field, and then finally the K-State special teams delivering three points just before halftime. Absolutely. Well said, and uh, that's all I've got here for uh, the K-State in West Virginia re- review. Uh, Deli, anything you'd like to add here? No, we said that K-State pretty much just had to roll their helmets out, and they'd, they'd secure yep. the victory uh, pretty they- comfortably, and that's, I think, exactly what they did. Yep, you know exactly. it's it, it's this game's weird because no, but I don't. I didn't have a great taste in my mouth after this one. It felt like uh, K State didn't play their best game, and I don't think they did. No, but at the end of the day, K State finds themselves with a seventeen point win um, on the road in a conference game, and uh, that's not bad. Yeah, <laughs> we'll take that. That conference road games are. are Pretty darn hard, um, sure. and so to to play a what I think's a, a B minus, uh, maybe that's even a little charitable performance, sure. and walk out of there with a three score win. Um, I think it's certainly one that you're not going to be too upset with. Yeah, 48-31, 17 point win for Kansas State, uh, West Virginia's largest loss on their home field this season. Yeah, uh, and this is a team that's played TCU, lost by ten there. Yep, uh, beat Oklahoma. Beat Baylor, uh, and then lost to Kansas by thirteen in uh, overtime. In, in overtime, what what a what a uh, what a spread that is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's all I really have here on, on this game. This is a game that I thought going into that uh, K State would be able to 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 do whatever they wanted to on offense, and you've seen that now here for a couple of weeks where K State's offense has really uh, been been humming at a pretty good clip uh, with Will Howard. It, you know, hats off to him for, for what he's con- able to continue to do as he's, uh, you know, taking the helm at, at the quarterback position. But uh, uh, a great performance uh, by the offense. Some things to look at for the defense uh, in, in terms of really just kind of going to have to be be uh, staying healthy here in some, in some critical positions because back in that secondary we are a little bit thin. But I think you've seen it, though, uh, here as of late, it, with with what K State's done in the transfer portal, they've kept the safety position stocked uh, with talent and with some depth. This is why you have that, and, and this is why uh, their their ability to do so uh, is really going to be helpful here uh, the final couple games of the season. So we'll close the book on K State in West Virginia, uh, but not before we give a heartfelt congratulatory shout out. To Nashville Mick. Yeah. At in Leland W on Twitter. You know, 4831 was kind of a, a little bit of an out there score prediction. Now, Deli, you um you probably had the closest uh of the of the of the predictions there. Uh, we were both kind of thinking the same thing uh for this for this K-State uh, game. You had 42-17, I had 34-17. Uh, but Nashville Nick it gets the nod here. He had it thirty-three to twenty-three, and uh, that's good enough for for closest to the pin. And so we give a heartfelt out to Nashville Nick. Yeah. In Leland W. It's a great job by him. The guy knows his football, no doubt about it. There's no question. There's not much else the, that net that really you can say about what he's done. 
uh, here as a uh, as a frequent uh, participant in the weekly prediction thread, and we'll of course uh, be, be glued to your phones tomorrow, folks, because you'll have the opportunity to get into the mix there tomorrow. That's right. As we come to you live on the short side option. Uh, so, Dilu, let's get into it. Kansas, Sunfellow Showdown. That's right, and it's a big game here. KU has locked up bowl eligibility. They are 6-5 and five on this season. And, you know, really, you look at this, and KU, KU football was the story of the first month of the season. I mean, it was one of the biggest stories in, in, in the first month of the season uh, as they, they roll off uh, five straight wins uh, to get the season started. And then they hit kind of the rougher part of their schedule. Uh, losses to TCU, Oklahoma, Baylor, Texas Tech, and Texas uh, with a win over Oklahoma State uh, sprinkled in there. Uh, so K-State, or so, K- so KU rather here, has uh, lost five of their last six, but they come into uh, to Manhattan looking to spoil uh, Kansas State's uh, opportunity to get to the Big 12 title game. Yeah, little shades of 2009 Kansas. Um give or take a, a game, because in that one, uh, KU starts out, I think, 5-0 and before mm-hmm. losing their last seven. Um, and uh, here now, they start out 6-0 and and then lose the next five. Uh, five start out 5-0 and and then lose five out of six. And so, um, not too different, really, than that 2019, but... It's KU's kind of an odd team to look at this year because you look at these games and the story for them through the first for, through those first five wins were uh, the offense um, and especially the first four games um, because you had Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal and and um, High Shaw and all these yeah. great circus offense big plays and all this stuff and then they run into Iowa State and are are lucky to to escape that one with a win um, with Iowa State's kicking woes in a game where KU only puts up 14 points. And at that time we thought, well, you know, this, that might be a serious aberration <coughs> only because this Iowa State defense is really good. And uh, then comes the TCU game with game day and, and Shane Daniels, of course, gets hurt. And then Jason Bean enters the fray and, and has a really nice performance yeah. against, against Texas I'm, Christian. I'm going to say something here that – as you kind of run through here, I honestly think Jason Bean's a better quarterback. Well, it's hard to say because Jalen Daniels has some pretty good tools. But, he does. But one of his best tools, and probably his best tool, is his mobility, especially in the pocket. Yeah. Um, and that's a big question mark for me tomorrow because against Texas, he was extremely limited in how he used his legs. Um Really, very, very, very few designed runs. Um, there's some questions whether the the injury is still nagging at yeah. him, and I think that's going to be pretty determinative on on how KU's offense performs tomorrow. Because yeah. without that element, um, whether it's Bean or Daniels, without that quarterback run element, there's not a lot of uh, of sizzle to this offense. Um, Devin Neal, obviously, an extremely capable running back. Uh, but running behind the line that isn't good. This KU offensive line is, um, I think, the worst unit in the Big 12 on, on the offensive line front. Um, and they were they were able to mask that a little bit, and it's a real credit to Kotelnicki and 
Lance Leipold that they were able to have a pretty effective offense behind the worst or close to the worst offensive line. And I think a lot of it's the quick hitter passes yep. and a quarterback who's able to uh, make quick reads, but more importantly, able to keep the defense off balance. Has uh, mobility to in the running yeah. game. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that that's what... I think Adrian Martinez would fit right into this KU offense. Probably better than he fit into the K-State offense that's really more quarterback power designed. Um, But regardless, disregardlessly, um, the trigger man is very important for this KU offense. And the trigger man especially being able to be mobile and be a real threat on uh, various option reads they have, uh, I I think that's very, very important. And... Um, it wasn't there last week against Texas, and that's why KU got uh, demolished, uh, at least on when they had the ball. And the reasons they got demolished on the other side, we can talk about later. But I think the, the big question for tomorrow is whether it's Daniels or Bean, is KU going to be snapping the ball to somebody who can be an effective runner? Yeah, well, I think you're going to see both of them. And they, they seem to have done that. And I, not to where it's like you know, a series here for being a series here for Daniels. But you'll even have times where you see him in, in the lineup at the same time. So uh, I, I, I'll i be interested to see what Leipold and Colt Necky, uh look to uh, look to do there because it's funny. I look here at, uh, at, at stats here in terms of the yards per play uh, for total defense. Uh, KU ranks um, second to last in the Big 12 at – you know, last week we played the worst defense in the Big 12 with, with West Virginia giving up 6.7 yards per play. Uh, KU's not too far. I mean, there, there's a quite a bit of separation, actually, between West Virginia and the next closest, uh, which is KU at 6.08 yards per play in conference games. Uh, but in terms of yards per play on offense, it's not TCU at the top. It's, uh, it's KU at the top in terms of yards per play at uh, 6.8 yards uh, yep. a play. So this is an offense that, whether if it's been Jalen Daniels or if it's been Jason Bean, has seemed to be able to move the ball really well offensively. And uh, you have to give them credit there, uh, especially to the coaching staff. You have to you have to give them credit there. Yeah, I mean, and you know, we talked about Daniels being ineffective or ineffective last week, and he did have 230 yards passing the ball. Yeah, um, I ran there were 26 attempts, and he had an interception mixed in. But, um, you know, they, they can gimmick and, and scheme up uh, yardage, no yeah. doubt, even, even if he's not mobile. Uh, but the big play is, is really what, where KU racks up all their yards for the most part. I mean, it's, it's long Jason Bean runs. It's, it's long passes from Jalen Daniels or long scrambles by Jalen Daniels. And it's long runs by Devin Neal. Um, and so you're seeing a, it really come in a lot of explosives. Um, but you're right. I mean, the, the yards per play demonstrates that KU's offense is, is just flat out good this year. Yeah, really um, good. Es- especially when they have a quarterback uh, who can run the ball. And without that, I, I don't think it's uh, all that effective. But, uh, I mean, it's hard to argue with the top yards per play in the conference. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's the other side of that, yeah, as I mentioned. The other side of that coin is not as pretty of a picture for this KU defense. It's been a defense that uh, has really struggled, especially against the run, which we saw last week against Texas. Uh, B. John Robinson, 25, 26 carries for 200-some yards. Yeah. Uh, 
was able to. He had I, 230 yards with 10 minutes left in the third quarter. Yeah, he could have. You know what? He could have really put up a, a big number in that one, and he still did, obviously. But uh, in this one, uh, I think K State's going to have to have some success running the ball, and I don't think they're going to have really a whole lot of trouble doing that. Uh, the reason why I see you want to have K-State having some success on the ground is really just to keep the ball out of the KU offense hands. Keep that KU defense out there on the field uh, for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. And um, Because especially with what the weather forecast might look like for Saturday where there is uh, some threat of rain throughout, uh, dealing with the slick ball, all that stuff, you wonder, uh, oh, well, Baylor just threw an interception here. And so it looks like Texas is going to take control of this one already ahead by four. But uh, with weather and the um, wind-rain possibility uh, that, that exists on Saturday, uh, this is a matchup that I think if K-State says, hey, you know, we might run the ball 50 times tonight. And uh, this is a defense that they can really, I feel like, have a lot of success leaning on. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, going into last week, I, <laughs> I don't know whether I said it on here or not, but I said... I think B.J. John Robinson's going to run for 300 yards. Yeah, you did. You did say that. And, Absolutely. And I think he certainly could have. And whether Deuce Vaughn is going to be able to do that or D.J. Giddens is going to be able to just ground and pound uh, to the same degree that B. John Robinson had, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think that K-State's going to be able to have some success just because this this KU defense is just, like I said, it's just not that great, especially in the front seven. I think they got some... Secondary guys were pretty good, but and you know they have pieces in in several spots on the defense. I think Lonnie Phelps is probably their best player on defense. Um, the transfer defensive end who who can create a little havoc in the backfield. But beyond him, I mean, you, you look Kenny Logan's serviceable. Kobe Bryant coming yeah. back from injury uh, in the OU game um, is is pretty good back there. But otherwise, I mean, Sam Burt. Caleb Sampson, those are interior defense alignment that probably aren't uh, Big 12 caliber players um, and can get pushed around pretty good. And you just keep waiting for this K-State interior, interior line to just impose its will on a team. And we saw it a little bit in the Baylor game. Yeah. Um, and saw it in the Oklahoma State game too. But I think this is going to be another opportunity for them to face – what I think is an outmatched and undermanned uh, front seven for KU. And this is still a, uh, a team kind of running that uh, antiquated, at this point, style of defense where they actually do have four down linemen. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're running out of the, uh, the non-3-3-5, uh, some of the more traditional looks. And other teams in the conference have had a lot of success uh, against KU's defense. And I expect this K-State offense to, uh, to perform the same way because – one thing about this K-State offense is is when they face bad defenses, they make a pay. They really do. Yeah. I mean, we, we let's talk about some of the worst defenses in the conference for a second. I think Oklahoma, yep. one of the worst defenses in the conference, K-State puts up about 40 points. Yep. Oklahoma State, at least in the back half uh, of conference play, has been one of, if not the worst, defense in the conference. K-State had its way with them there. You have West Virginia, another bad defense. K-State takes care of them. I mean, so really, I mean, you look at even defenses like Texas, K-State. I, I think Texas is one of the better defenses in the conference. I agree. And K-State slow in the first half against them, but did a pretty darn good job in the second half. Iowa State, one of the best defenses in the conference. K-State, a little slower against them. I mean, yep. had a 
much harder time putting up points, less some on the field, but at the end of the day, not a big number for K-State. But when K-State faces bad defenses, Colin Klein's really been able to find a way to exploit them and make them look bad. And that's what K-State's facing on Saturday, and that's what I expect to happen. I, I think that K-State offense should be able to, to really find the end zone quite a bit um, because I think the K-State offense is good, and I think the KU defense is bad. Yep, I think that's kind of how you have to look at it. Is I think KU can definitely score enough points. Uh, you know, if they do get something good out of, out of their defense or are able to cause a few turnovers, I don't think it's un. Uh, I don't think it's um, outside of reason to think KU can score thirty points. No, uh, on Saturday. Uh, now, is thirty points going to be enough to win? Yeah, because I could also see K State scoring up close to fifty. Yeah. Um, so, it, with that being said, here, D. Lou. Let's go ahead and get to. Uh, I, I did want to just give you a quick little rundown, real quick. A couple of the receivers that I think you need to keep an eye on: Lawrence Arnold, Quentin Skinner, Luke Grimm, and then Mason Fairchild and Jared Casey, the tight end position. Some of those guys that they look for. Uh, but they do. One thing I will say about KU is they do do a good job of kind of spreading the ball around. Yep. You know, you have uh, these receivers. Their leading receiver has thirty nine receptions with with Luke Grimm. Uh, but they also have Lawrence Arnold at 32 receptions. So they kind of share the load a little bit there in terms of how they get the ball out. But really, they, they lean on Devin Neal, and uh, they were, of course, leaning on Daniel Hyshaw a lot uh, before he uh, lo- got lost for the rest of the season with, with a knee injury. Um, D'Lo, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to mention here on this matchup before we get to it? No, other than I, I just I like Mason Fairchild a lot. Um, Andel Kansas. Say I'm sorry? Andel Kansas. Yeah, and he's, you know, it's funny that Jared Casey is kind of a meme. <laughs> he had the big play against Texas yeah. last year where he slips out, and it wasn't really a remarkable play. He no. just kind of got loose in the end zone and caught it. But he gets all the notoriety, and he's the KU tight end. But I think Mason Fairchild's uh, a better tight end for sure, and and I think he's darn good. He's, he's come up with some catches this year where um, – not unlike Ben Sennett, you can tell the KU quarterbacks, whether it's Daniels or Bean, uh, really have a high degree of confidence when they throw it to him that he's going to be able to outmuscle whoever he's on. And for the most part, he has. Um, Arnold and Skinner, I think each of them are, are pretty good wide receivers. Both have some length. Um, and then Luke Grimm is, is a guy that they count on, um, too. And, and he's a, a big third down. Yeah, I was going to say, he's, he's been big on third down for him all season when I've, when I've had the chance to watch KU play. Yeah, and so, again, it's I think that this KU offense is pretty darn complete when they have uh, a quarterback who can, who can run it, but uh, their offensive line still is, is unreliable. And, again, you, you don't see that Barrett's head too often just because you have – Devin Neal, who, who can kind of make his own hay a little bit, and they get the ball out pretty quick. And when you have a quarterback who's mobile and you're not asking him to drop back all that often, uh, you don't see a ton of sacks, and they don't give up many sacks because of that scheme. But all in all, it's, a, it's an effective KU offense, and uh, the K-State defense is going to have its handful, especially undermanned in the back end. Yeah, all right, so D'Lo, I'm going to ask you for prediction here. Give me, uh, and also in addition to your prediction, give me uh, you know one key for the K-State offense, one key for the K-State defense. I think the key for the K-State offense is just playing a clean game. Yeah. Um, just do, taking care of the football. Um, I expect K-State's offense to be able to really average 
between five and ten yards per play on Saturday. And uh, kind of like what we saw against West Virginia, where, um, you know, in fact, I think the game is going to be similar to West Virginia in a lot of respects. I think right now West Virginia and KU are pretty similar in that they have uh, a quarterback who's pretty mobile with Garrett Green, yep. who can do some nice things in an offense that's pretty effective, and a defense that's just terrible. Um, and uh, so I, I think the game looks pretty similar to last week. Um, I think KU's going to be able to score some points. I would expect somewhere in the range of between 20 and 30, maybe a little north of 30 for KU. Um, but I think the K-State offense is, is going to be too much and, and just put up too many points for, for KU to keep up with. But as far as a key, take care of the football for the offense. On defense, I think it's safeties. It's yep. it's prevent the big play. Live with Devin Neal getting five to six a carry. If but but do not um, get beat over the top. Yep. And I think they can do that and force KU to put together some longer drives. Then we start seeing some mistakes happen. Maybe the offensive line gets a little leaky. You get a sack. Um, or maybe Jalen Daniels, who still a pretty young quarterback. Um, makes a mistake, and uh, it costs KU with a turnover. So uh, on defense, I think it's the safeties. Now, for in terms of the score, I think K-State wins this one. I think they win it pretty comfortably against – and we'll talk about it a little bit, but I think part of it is just the K-State football brand uh, being too much for, for KU to handle. Good point. Uh, which is something we haven't really talked about, but that's an X factor too. Sure. Um, but I think K-State wins this one 48-28. to 28. Uh, K-State offense able to do what it wants. K-State's defense struggles a little bit against a good offense, but holds them under 30, and K-State ends up winning this one by three scores. I like it. 48-28 for Dell as he takes Kansas State uh, to win here in the Sunflower Showdown. So um, we see this game very similarly in terms of your, uh, your keys. I think that's exactly... I mean, I couldn't have said any better. Those are the exact things I'm looking for. If K-State plays a, plays a clean game and, and, and keeps the ball um, off the ground or, or uh, you know, stays away from, from putting the ball in harm's way, I think K-State uh, is able to really have a ton of success uh, on the ground and through the air. I think the K-State offense has really been pretty darn tough to stop here as we've uh, got, uh, got Hellman here in the second half of, of conference play. Um, I would say, too, for, for me, the thing that you mentioned is just the safety play, uh, not getting beat over the top. The other thing I would mention in, in, a, uh, in regard to that, too, is just stuffing out things and, and being sure with your tackles. Uh, because there was a little bit of that that we saw uh, against West Virginia, just some po- kind of some poor tackling. Uh, I think the game that K-State played against Baylor might have been the best We've tackled all season. Yeah. Uh, now I don't know if we need necessarily that kind of performance against KU to be able to win, but you'd like to see things be a, a little bit more sure there. So uh, we see this game very similar. You have a forty-eight twenty-eight. I'm going to go a little bit lower scored. I'm going to go forty-one for Kansas State twenty for KU. So we have a very similar margin. But I got K- Kansas State winning this game. 41-20 to 20 over the Jayhawks. Yeah, and you mentioned tackling. And I do think tackling is going to be extremely important on Saturday because we haven't talked about him a lot today, but Devin Neal is very, very good. I mean, he's one of these guys in the Big 12, at least this season it's felt like it's 
there's three real running backs that get talked about, uh, you know, nationally for the Big 12, and that's Kendra Miller, Bijan Robinson, and Deuce Vaughn. Yeah. But I think Devin Neal is uh, is one of the best running backs in the conference, and, and certainly um, I think he's on the level of a Kendra Miller. I think he's close to on the level of Deuce. I think Bijan Robinson is kind of in a class by himself a little bit. Yeah. Um, kind of the fillet of the Big 12. I'd say so. Yeah. Um, but Devin Neal is is extremely talented, fast, tough to break down, uh, shifty, and uh, again, K State great performance against Baylor on the ground. But it's hard to forget some of those performances earlier on in the year, and even last week I think against West Virginia, uh, where they were able to do some things on the ground. Uh, they were a little bit for K State to handle, but Daniel Green, the machine. And uh, K-State's front line on defense is going to have to be sturdy and trying yeah. to keep him contained. And this is a game, too, where I think a guy that if you're – when you're sitting at home, either watching the game on TV or if you're in uh, Fort Snyder, uh, you know, getting after it uh, while the Cats are on defense and, and while you're yelling and all that stuff, keep an eye on Eli Huggins because that's going to be a guy that I think is going to have a huge game. He might only have two tackles. Yeah, but just because of what he's able to do in terms of eating guys up, in terms of kind of just plugging things up in the middle, uh, I think is going to be a, a big factor. And, and you know, we mention him I think every week here on the podcast, saying that this is a guy who probably doesn't get the recognition he deserves conference wide. But I think with what you see uh, from K State, I, I would be shocked if he's not a first team All Big Twelve player this year because he certainly played at that level for me. Yeah, I think he's great um, and. If he can eat up blockers there on the front end and, and free up some space for Daniel Green and Austin Moore to operate, I think uh, the the Devin Neal problem becomes quite a bit easier to solve. Sure, sure, absolutely. So 48-28 for Dell uh, and 41-20 for yours truly, both selecting Kansas State to take care of business and punch their ticket to the Big 12 championship game in Arlington. So that'll do it here for the West Virginia Review in Kansas preview. Do you anything else you want to want to say here before we wrap up uh, this part of the show? No, it's it's fun to have a, a Sunfeller showdown with some stakes. Yeah, absolutely. Against a KU team that uh, is really making some a, a little bit of noise and having a nice, albeit pretty mediocre season. Uh, um, it's it's certainly more than they can they've been able to say for the last uh, fifteen years, at least in the post Mangino era. Their best season by far. Um, and they're, of course, uh, looking for a nice reward um, yeah. in terms of uh, a bowl appearance, maybe in the Guaranteed Rate Bowl or the Armed Forces Bowl or some of these lower-tier bowl games uh, but that they're very excited to go to. Yeah, you know, the bowl game that Kansas will, will, uh, will find themselves in will lack the prestige uh, of some uh, of the more higher-end bowl games like Kansas State will be going to. Uh, but with what uh, with what KU's accomplished this season, it, it, it's a credit to them uh, that even if they're going to kind of one of these joke bowl games, that they'll at least have uh, have something to do here uh, in the last couple uh, weeks of December. Yeah, because it's easy to to forget about. I mean, K State would be pretty sad to go to some of these garbage bowl games, and it, it's it's easy to take that for granted because for some programs that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, this is the greatest thing to. Going to the Armed Forces Bowl and playing in front of 15,000 people in Fort Worth or wherever it is, um, that's the best thing to happen to KU football in a decade and a half. Mm -hmm. And so this is a team that's 
played really out of their minds uh, this year to, to secure some victories. And, and hats off to Lance Leipold. I think, I mean, a lot of people are going to be giving the coach of the year to, to Sonny Dykes. I'm giving it to Lance Leipold. Yeah, uh, you know, and it's tough. In, in any other year, he'd probably be, almost be a shoe-in for the national uh, coach of the year with what he's done with this KU team. And he, certainly he's done a tremendous job. But uh, with, with what Sonny Dykes has done in year one at, at TCU, it's it's a tough act to follow, you know, in terms of uh, with what uh, Leipold's done this year. Yeah, I mean, to pull that group out of um, complete obscurity and, and get them to have a, a season that's um, – find themselves in the lower middle pack of the, the Big 12, I think is extremely impressive. Yeah. Um, and so credit to them, and, and it's an exciting story for KU is they pursue uh, what could be a, a seven-win season for them, yeah. which would be tremendous. Um, and we just applaud the work that Lance has done, and uh, we look forward to being able to go out and <clears throat> really assert our will uh, K-State's will uh, in the Sunfeller Showdown tomorrow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that'll wrap it up here for the West Virginia Review, Kansas Preview portion of the podcast. But we're just getting started here on the short side option, folks. We, After a uh, short break, we will be back with another in the long line of Wildcat Legends that we highlight in uh, a segment that DLU has titled this week's Wildcat Legend. Uh, and then we're going to be back. We're going to be talking about brands. We're going to be battling about brands and uh, see whose stock is rising and see whose stock is falling here as we enter rivalry week in the Big 12. And then we finish off this episode of the Short Side Option, as we always do, by answering your questions in the Ask the Icon segment. Join us after a quick break. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option podcast. You're listening to d You're listening to the Icon and you are now listening to a segment that we call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And I come this week's Wildcat Legend. Hails from Blooming Grove in the Lone Star State. Blooming Grove? Blooming Grove. Not the China Grove. Great Doobie, song, Doobie Brothers song. No, Blooming Grove. Okay. Texas. Okay. Played for the legend. Played for the legend? Yeah. But that's not the only coach he played for. Ah, ah, ah. He played for head coach Gary Grubbs over at Blooming Grove High, where he earned all-district six 2A honors as both a quarterback and safety during his junior and senior seasons. He next found himself playing at Navarro Community College under head coach Brian Maper, where he helped lead the Bulldogs to a 7-3 record and a number 14 national ranking in the final JUCO poll where he also earned first-team All-Southwest Junior College Football Conference honors after finishing the year with 70 tackles, 10 sacks, two fumble recoveries, two pass breakups, and a forced fumble. Um, He recorded a season-best 11 tackles and three sacks against Cisco. Not Jesse Ertz. Not the Cisco kid. No. Well, he had two sacks apiece against Kilgore and Blaine Community College. Okay. Uh, then he played for the legend. Played for the legend. Then he moved north, where he played three seasons for the legend. His first season, 2015, he played in all 13 games, mostly on special teams, where he totaled three tackles on kickoff coverage, blocked a punt against Missouri State, blocked a punt against Oklahoma State. Wow. Kind of special teams ace here. Yeah. Seth Porter, watch out. Yeah. Holy cow. Uh, tied for this fifth. guy was definitely worth monitoring. No question about that. <laughs> tied for fifth nationally in pump and blocked kicks 
Uh, and he recorded the most blocked punts by a Wildcat since Courtney Herndon. Wow. Courtney Herndon get into the mix here on, on a uh, Black Friday edition of the short side option. Where in Courtney, Herndon. Courtney Herndon also had two blocked punts against uh, back in 2008. This Wildcat legend was also the guy who recovered the onside kick against Stanford in the opener. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I flash forward ahead to, to uh, 2015 there. 2016. Or 2016, yeah. yeah. So he had the blocked punts in 2016, um, and he was uh, mostly a special teams player. Earned a second-team academic all-bid 12 in 2016. Okay. Pretty nice. Uh, but in 2017, this was his uh, breakout year. Started all 13 games at linebacker leading the team and ranking 8th in the Big 12 that year with 99 tackles. 76 were solo stops. That was good enough for 6th in school history and 12th nationally. Led the team and tied for 9th in the Big 12 with 11.5 tackles for loss. Had 4 sacks, 4 passes defended, 3 forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. So kind of all over there. Uh, Tied for 4th in the Big 12 in forced fumbles. Averaged seven tackles per game over the first six games of the regular season with two and a half TFLs apiece and a sack before averaging eight and a half tackles per game and totaling eight tackles for a loss. Three sacks, four passes defended, three forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery in the final six games of the season. Wow. Okay. But in 2017, um, and the reason we're here today is because he had four tackles for a loss against Kansas in that 2017 contest. Let me just pull up his stats from that yeah. game. Yeah, five total tackles, a pass deflected, a sack, four total tackles for a loss against KU on that fateful day back in 2017. So, Icon! Any ideas? I, I think I do know. And, and I, When you were talking about his junior college accolades, that kind of gave me a hint as to where this was going. And I look here at, because I got the 2017 stats pulled up, I did not recall him having such a big statistical year. Yeah. Uh, but that 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 is, I mean, it, well, if it's who I think I'm thinking of, it's Jade Kirby. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's Jade and, Kirby. Yeah. Just one away from 100 total tackles. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I forgot to mention this. Um, son of Kevin and Lori Kirby. Okay. So that would Kevin, have given it away. Kevin's boy. Yeah. Well, you know, he, um, he and he was a nice linebacker for K-State. You know, Kirby and Trent Tanking really uh, held down the linebacking core in that 2017 year. And uh, it, was a, it was a team that had some really high um, aspirations. And a team that I thought had all the makings of, of what could be a team that makes it to a Big 12 championship game. And uh, things kind of went sideways for Kansas State that year. Uh, of course, injuries factored in heavily to that. Uh, but uh, Jade Kirby, great choice here, D. Lou, uh, for this week's Wildcat Legend. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking back at that 2017 Sunfellow Showdown game, 30-20. Uh, to 20, um, K-State offense uh, gets outgained in this one by 140 yards. Uh, K-State puts up only 340 yards of total offense. You look at the quarterback play uh, in this one. Alice Delton 
uh, and Skylar Thompson shared duties during this one. Neither threw for 100 yards. Yeah, this was a kind of an interesting – that was an interesting Sunflower showdown because KU, I believe, under the direction of Carter Stanley, uh, really kind of led us up through the air in that one. Yeah, Carter Stanley throws for 418 yards in this one. Um, Steven Sims, the leader for KU catching the ball, uh, nine receptions for 233 yards. But 233 uh, yards? Yes. Holy cow. Uh, I knew he had a good game, but I didn't know it was that. I know he had a big, long touchdown pass in there, too. But uh, on the ground, KU really struggled. Khalil Herbert uh, carrying the ball 12 times, only 33 yards. Uh, Carter Stanley carrying it 14 times for only 23 yards and totaling uh, just 64 yards on 28 carries. And so I think that's Jade Kirby this week's Wildcat legend rearing his ugly head and giving that 2017 KU offense some nightmares. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jake Kirby was a, a kind of an, an underrated uh, K-State linebacker. I, as I mentioned earlier, when I go back and look at those stats, uh, his, his senior year at Kansas State, he really played a big part in, in, uh, in that season and uh, had a really nice senior year. So uh, kudos to, to Jade Kirby. I always thought he was uh, kind of underrated. Uh, he had pretty good speed, able to kind of get from sideline to sideline. And, uh, you know, with what you see uh, from him, it's, it's no wonder he's, he's, he's the, the newest inductee into uh, the Wildcat legend uh, family. Yeah, we're thrilled for him. Uh, it's a huge honor for him. And I'm sure he's uh, very honored as well. But it's a credit to him and his hard work. Uh, really just one of these guys who just develops in the program. I mean... We laid it out there. He went to Navarro Community College for a year, had, had some success there, then spent some time on the special teams unit before finding himself thrust into the action and counted on to be a big part of this K-State defense. And, you know, not uh, kind of reminds me a, a little bit of Austin Moore. Yeah. Only in that it's a guy who spends some time in the program, works his way up, um, you know, as a reserve, and then is becomes an upperclassman. All of a sudden, he's thrust into the action here and independent on to be a um, solid contributor to this K State defense. So, Austin Moore certainly having a uh, impressive performance this year, but he stands on the shoulder of Giants, one of whom is named Jade. Uh, so, hats off to Jade Kirby. Congratulations! You certainly deserve to be this week's Wildcats legend. Dilo, well done as always. And now. We get into uh, a segment that we have uh, just recently got started here on the short side option. Let's babble. Let's babble, folks. It's time to babble about brands. And, uh, you know, as we get into this here, into the final week of the regular season, D'Lo, I'm going to ask you. You got a brand on the on the uptick, so to speak, a, a brand on the rise, and maybe do you have a, a brand that is slightly declining here, perhaps? Yeah, I, I have I have both of those things. Um, let's start with brand on the fall. Okay, and we're going to take us down to Stillwater, Stilly Stilly, where Oklahoma State is uh, really struggling. This is a team who <clears throat> it seems like just six weeks ago was a brand sitting at or near the top of uh, the Big 12, or at least the new Big 12, and they have their uh, showdown in Fort Worth. It's a number eight Oklahoma State against a number 13 Texas Christian team. 
Texas Christian was able to come out on top in that one. But since then, let's look at what Oklahoma State's done, okay? <coughs> um, they go, they bounce back against Texas. Really solid. Yeah, win. and that was a gutsy, gutsy win for, for Oklahoma State. And it's, no it's, it's a win looking back on that K-State uh, turns out to be very important for K-State, um, allowing K-State to control its own destiny here in the final week of the season. But then Oklahoma State goes and faces another powerful brand in Kansas State, travel north up to Manhattan, where Oklahoma State gets blanked, 48 to nothing. And then uh, Oklahoma State returns to the Sunflower State uh, to face Kansas, and Oklahoma State just gets outclassed uh, in that one by uh, 21 points in a game that KU really controlled wire to wire. Uh, Oklahoma State not able to get off the mat in that one. Uh, then they host Iowa State, where they escape with a 20 to 14 win in a game that um, was in doubt uh, late. Um, Iowa State was driving, chance to take the lead uh, with uh, about really hardly any time left on the clock down at the Oklahoma State 23-yard line before Iowa State does what Iowa State does and turns it over on downs. But then Bedlam comes for Oklahoma State, and they they find themselves down big at halftime. Uh, The halftime score in that one, 28-6. And it doesn't get much better in the second half. Oklahoma State's only able to put up another 6-7, well... Um. Yeah, they uh, was it twenty eight to three or twenty eight to six here. Uh, at, at halftime, for yeah, Oklahoma State in, in Oklahoma, uh, it was twenty to three at halftime. Got it. Okay, so this year, regardlessly, Oklahoma State finds themselves down big against Oklahoma and really can't get off the mat against the Sooners. And this season has just really took a left turn for for the Cowboys. Um uncharacteristic for a Mike Gundy squad to really fall off uh, a cliff this hard. And I think part of it's that they just didn't have a backup quarterback. This yeah. Year. And it, they had injuries all over the place. But really uh, a hit to the brand for Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy. Um, out of the top 25 now. And uh, a season that looked like, you know, not, it wasn't that long ago that people were saying Oklahoma State is a in the playoff hunt here. But now, uh, they are... The current version of Oklahoma State's one of the worst teams in the, in the conference, yeah, I think. I, I would agree. And they've got a game this week against West Virginia that I think will be interesting to see kind of with with what team wants to be maybe be there more. Oklahoma State uh, really kind of looking their wings coming into this one. West Virginia uh, eliminated from bowl contention. Uh, to get the bowl eligibility uh, as they're going to finish out, or as they're currently sitting four and seven uh, here on the season. Uh, I, I think that that's the team that I have also, too, as my brand on the decline. Now, and as you mentioned, it's unlike a Mike Gundy team, but you, you have to have a feeling that Oklahoma State might be active in the transfer portal to find uh, a quarterback going into the season because I don't know if uh, Gunnar Gundy is necessarily uh, who is going to be uh, the uh, the quarterback uh, going forward for Oklahoma State here in the 2023 version of Oklahoma State. Yeah, and so that that's my brain on the fall. Brain on the rise. You look up and down. I've got one. Okay. 
Texas Tech. I, that's who. If it's going to be anybody, it's got to be them. Yeah, Joey McGuire uh, in his first year is going to have Texas Tech going to a bowl game. Uh, they sit six and five, and they host Oklahoma uh, here in Lubbock uh, to close out the regular season. But Texas Tech was able to kind of hit the ground running a little bit this year uh, with a big win against Houston, big win over Texas, and then we're able to uh, to parlay that into getting to bowl eligibility this year. Another thing, too, that they've uh, shown uh, some some positive momentum in is on the recruiting trail. Uh, with, with having a good class coming in as part of Joe McGuire's first class in Lubbock. And uh, you have to look at what his first full class, where he just isn't inheriting uh, a team you know, kind of at the end of the season necessarily and is able to have his first full uh, recruiting class. Uh, I look at Texas Tech as a, as a brand on the, on the ascent. In one... Aspect about their game this week against uh, the Sooners is if Texas Tech wins this game, <clears throat> Joey McGuire will be the first head coach of Texas Tech to go and have a winning conference record since Mike Leach. Wow, in two thousand nine. Yeah, so it's been some kind of some lean years here for Texas Tech, kind of at best being a, a middle of the pack Big Twelve team, and you know that's kind of where they find themselves so far this year. But uh, a win over Oklahoma, going into a bowl game, a chance to win eight games on the season, uh, absolutely a uh, a positive stretch there for Oklahoma or for for Texas Tech, uh, as I think they might go uh, get a get a win over Oklahoma this week at home. Uh, it should be a, should be a good matchup there. Yeah, um, you know they haven't even won four games in conference uh, since twenty fifteen, um, and so it gets. Goes to show you how how low Texas Tech's brand has been, um, just how bad they've been uh, for quite a while. I mean, KU's attract had all the headlines of futility in the conference and all this and that, but Texas Tech has in Iowa State too, of course, uh, prior to Matt Campbell's ascent of that program. But Texas Tech has had been pretty bad for a while, um, or at least they've never been they haven't been good in a in a long time. Um, Tommy Tuberville won eight games there a couple times. Um, Cliff won ten, or I'm sorry, eight games there his first season in 2013. Since then, um, it's been like you said, pretty darn lean for this Texas Tech program, and so a chance for uh, Joey McGuire to uh, keep the momentum rolling there. Uh, you mentioned good recruiting class, so yeah, I mean, I think that they're a brand on the rise, but they're rising uh, from the basement. Yeah, um, but. You got to start somewhere. Absolutely, absolutely. One's uh, a journey to the top starts with one step. Yeah, and so they're showing that. You know, we talked about it a few weeks ago that Texas Tech bad brand because they're a basketball school now. Joe McGuire's trying to reverse that uh, talking point a little bit and say, "Hey, Texas Tech is uh, we may be a hundred percent a basketball school, but we can still play a little bit of football on the gridiron." Yeah, and as they look to uh, to increase where they're they're standing in terms of the hierarchy of brands to be twelve, obviously a long way to go uh, before they get. Oh, yeah. before they get up to the uh, you know the, level the adults of, table, yeah, so to speak. Yeah, here, as, as we're on Thanksgiving week. Well put, but. Uh, you know they have a long way to go uh, to get into the uh, kind of the heavyweights or the titans of the Big Twelve uh, type hierarchy, which Kansas State currently sits at the top of. But uh, a step in the right direction for Texas Tech, no question about that. Yeah. Um, so that's our brands on the on the rise, brands on the fall. 
And Icon, we're, there's just one segment left here, buddy. That's right, baby. And that's the Ask the Icon segment. Yeah, that's the Ask the Icon segment where listeners can submit their questions to the short side options. Very on Chris the Icon Sork. And he'll answer. That's right. We've been doing it now for, for a while now. Yeah, he'll he'll shoot you straight. He'll he'll give you a right from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Um, listeners can submit those questions by tweeting them at us. Uh, our Twitter account is at TSSO underscore podcast. Or by using the hashtag AskTheIcon. Or um, while we're sleeping at night, whisper them in our ear. Get it to us subconsciously a little bit. Yeah. And maybe the icon or, or myself will uh, remember it here during this segment. And we'll, uh, we'll answer it there. But nonetheless, enough of that. Uh, enough of that nonsense. We'll get right into it. Our first question comes from listener Ryan Jorger Legal at legal underscore Ryan Jurger. He asks, Icon, obviously just winning the game is the most important part, but do you think there's any pressure in sending a message? Really pour it on him. Oh, I think there's always a message uh, that you can get uh, that, that kind of comes in these rivalry games where, where K-State's able to uh, you know flex their muscle and, and really impose uh, their will. You know, so much is made about this rivalry and big brother, little brother, with, of course, K-State being big bro, KU little bro. And you go back to the 2002 K-State-KU game. 64 nothing, K-State wins. Uh, and then there's the talk about, hey, you know, uh, I think it was Terry Pierce. Uh, as KU's getting close to the, to the red zone to, to be able to get their first points of the day, he calls out the uh, the starting defense. Says we're going back out there on the field to preserve the shutout. Just those kind of little things that you don't want to let little bro get too much uh, get, get have even a little slice of satisfaction there. So uh, yes, I do think there is a message that can be uh, can be said. And I I don't know if K State will necessarily go out of their way to to run it up on, on KU, but you see at the same time. K-State's left their, their starters in in these games that they've had in hand the last two weeks with uh, Baylor and West Virginia, where they've left, uh, you know, Will Howard out there. They've left uh, Deuce Vaughn out there to get some extra carries. So uh, I think K-State will, will not necessarily shy away from that here on Saturday. Yeah, I uh, think that's very true. It's a good question. It's a good answer. Uh, listener Tyler H. at TH8 underscore asks, Icon, do you have a message for the idiots and generally weak-minded people who hope that Texas loses and we rest our starters tomorrow? Well, Texas was able, as we were recording this episode of the Short Side Option podcast, uh, they were able to take care of business and win 38-27 over the Baylor Bears, uh, getting a couple uh, late touchdowns to to stretch it out there for for the Longhorns. And uh, I look at this uh, at... At Tyler's question there, the the whether if, if Baylor was able to upset them, which they, they were not able to, Casey would have punched their ticket to the Big Twelve title game. I look at this as a simple uh, as a simple kind of viewpoint. You have to take care of business against KU, regardless of if win or loss. So to to those folks. Don't want to even think about having to back your way into a, to a Big 12 title appearance. Go out there and earn it on the field. Yeah, and frankly, I think K-State could probably play their second string tomorrow and, and be okay. But uh, I think 
go out there, put the foot on the neck, and uh, just put up a big number and, and make clear to everyone uh, where uh, kind of the order of power is here in the Big 12. Uh, next question comes from listener Jeff Burkhart at Jeff underscore Burkhart. Jeff Burkhart getting into the into the mix here as, as we continue on in the short side option. Jeff asks, Icon, what has been the most enjoyable victory over KU in this current streak of 13 consecutive wins? This is the biggest Sunflower showdown since when? Good question. Biggest show, uh, Sunflower showdown since I would probably have to say 1995. Yeah. Just with what's all on the table. Uh, in that 1995 game, you have K-State coming in uh, as a uh, as kind of the new kid on the eh, not maybe the new kid on the block but kind of a new kind of a new emerging power uh, in the Big Twelve and in that game K State uh, on their road to uh, to being a ten win team they host KU KU is actually ranked number six in the country wow. K-State ranked 14, and K-State demolishes KU 41-7 to in, in a game that K-State totally controls and dominates throughout. And that is kind of the um, kind of story with the K-State-KU game under the legend. K-State just rolls in this game. Now, in terms of what are some of my favorite K-State-KU Games here in this in this current thirteen game streak. I have to go back to the game that kind of got the streak that got the streak started. Yeah. Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. That that is one of my favorite K State games ever. Yeah. And for a, for a team that you know it was it was the legend's first year back um, in a second stint, and it's a team that didn't really do a whole lot, uh, but uh, that was just coming off the heels of of KU's historic Orange Bowl victory and followed that up with a pretty good uh, year in 2008 as well. Um, but KU had been getting K-State's goat for a couple years by that point. And uh, K-State behind Daniel Thomas. Um, Grant Gregory. Grant Gregory. Lamarck Brown. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey Fitzgerald. Yes. Yeah. yeah, all those guys. Yeah, uh, the Sagmas. Oh no, uh, that's Grand Valentine. Valentine. Yeah, um, but love that 2000, that two thousand nine contest. Uh, just a gutty win, a gutty afternoon, and beautiful afternoon. It, it felt like the entire stadium recognized that okay, we have restored the order. The order has been restored. The yeah. legend reigns supreme. <laughs> exactly. The Hall of Fame can wait. Um, was it two thousand? Nineteen, where Carter Stanley was having a pretty good year, and we played down in Lawrence. Or is that in two thousand? That was in two thousand twenty. No, no, that was in two thousand nineteen. Two thousand nineteen. So Kleiman's first year. Uh, that yeah. was a big. In case it was kind of a short favor in that game. Yeah. Uh, first year of the Les Miles era. At uh, it should be fewer miles, right? Yeah, that's pro- more appropriate. Dramatically, yeah. Uh, grammar there, as far as that goes. But uh, that was another big one. Uh, you know, who is K State? Well, K State was sure to let us know. Uh, in in and in, in no uncertain terms that uh, the state is colored purple. Um, yeah. Well, great question from Jeff. 
Next question comes from listener Steve Taylor at Steve T A five two one two seven two three one. So, uh, Steve getting into the mix. He asks, name a player that will step out of the shadows to be an X factor against KU. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? No, I don't. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You do. I do. Home state, home state kid, too. Oh, I, I thought you were going to Uso. Oh, uh, well, he might be. He might get his make his presence. Okay, I have a name who's also a home state guy, but yeah. you but you go first. All this talk about Ben Sennett. This, oh, new, this yeah. new tight end that is just a matchup problem. He's Rob Gronkowski reincarnated. Don't forget about Sammy Wheeler, folks. Look for Sammy Wheeler to have a couple catches, and uh, you know what? I, I'll I'll go ahead and call it right now. Sammy Wheeler gets in the end zone on Saturday. I love that. Uh, Sammy Wheeler, he had a uh, not a bad performance against uh, West Virginia. He got into the mix there last Saturday, earning himself a uh, two catches for forty-four yards. So not bad for him. Nice little performance out of Sammy. You know, I like to have a nice game this weekend. Step out of the shadows a little bit. By the way, Sammy Wheeler. Great choice, because that's a guy who's been in the shadows for sure this year. Yeah, he uh, emerges. Uh, I think DJ Giddens might emerge. Yeah. Know, and has yeah. himself a career day. Maybe 100 yards? Yeah, I, I think so. I think he could do it. Um, I think it's a game that he should have quite a few opportunities to touch football um, against a defense that is going to give him an, some opportunities to uh, produce some big runs. So I like Sammy Wheeler. Or, I'm sorry, uh, DJ Giddens getting into the mix. You like Sammy Wheeler? I do. I do. Which is well established here on the Short Side Option Podcast. We're going to go ahead and get to our final question of this week's Ask the Icon segment. Uh, coming from listener Trim at Trim Goima. Trim asks, KU's basketball arena has long been known as the Piss Barn. That's right. But of late, many people are recognizing their football stadium's distinguish- distinguishing feature as its, as its porta-potties. That's what people yeah. recognize... You know, people think, uh, when they think of Death Valley and Clemson, they think of the Hill. Howard Rock. Yeah. But when they think of Memorial uh, over in Lawrence, uh, some might think of the Hill. But other people think porta potties Yep. So, uh, Trim asks, now in late 2022, which facility is more closely associated or branded with urine? I got go to go with Memorial Stadium. See, I'm going. I'm gonna go with the barn. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, the portal potties have really made a a big. Uh, they've really left a stamp on 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 that facility and a stench and a stench too. Because I remember I went to the game last year in Lawrence, and I hadn't been there in a few years. And I will say I don't know of any other facility uh, where. In the concourse, there's just porta potties lined up all over. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> you don't, you don't see very many stadiums that the bathrooms that are infrastructure to the stadium aren't cutting it, and they have to uh, bring in some porta potties. So, um, you know, it's it's important. Um, it's important for your stadium to have a brand. I don't know if. That is the brand you want. Yeah, I don't know if that's the brand you necessarily willingly associate yourself with, but that's something that KU's probably thought long and hard about and that they felt is in the best interest of, of their brand and their program. That's where they're hanging their hats. Yep. Yep. So um, so you say Memorial. I say 
Allen Fieldhouse because, of course, the smell. Um, but Icon, that wraps us up here for this week's Ask the Icon. Any uh, any parting thoughts? Do you want to get into the mix here uh, for Big 12? Let's do it. it. But before we get into kind of what's going on in the Big 12 this week, I want to ask you now, D'Lo, I know that typically you kind of get a little anxious here during the, this K-State KU week. But you seem to be as confident as I've ever seen you. Well, I think K, K-State's a pretty good team. And I think that's – I just have a lot of faith in the team. You're, you're right, though. I, I'm not particularly nervous about this one um, just because I think KU's been leaking some oil here in the last, really, couple months. Um, but one thing I will say about this KU team is, aside from Saturday against Texas, you haven't seen this KU team quit. No. Because, no. you know, they had multiple opportunities to quit against Oklahoma, and they didn't. And the final score was respectable enough, but <clears throat> there were just times there in that game where you expect KU to roll over, um, and they never did. Uh, against Baylor, they were down big, and they come back and have a chance late to uh, actually take the lead in that game, um, but they, they don't get it done, but they didn't quit. Um, so I, I'll say that K-State can expect a fight I think, for 60 minutes on Saturday. Um, and, you know, during this streak, we've seen several times where K-State just goes out and imposes their will and KU rolls over there in the first quarter. We saw it last season. Yep. Um, but I don't think that's really a hallmark of this KU team. Now, we saw it last Saturday against Texas, but really that's the only game where they've completely just waved the white flag. Um, but, no, I think K-State's just quite a bit better, um, and I think K-State's legitimately a top 15 team in the country, and uh, I just don't see a scenario where, where K-State uh, goes out and drops a game at home to a team that they should really beat. They're playing really confident football right now. Um, now, you could say, well, Delhi, what about the Tulane game? You know what? That's true. But I think Tulane's probably a better team than KU at this point. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no question. Now, if if KU comes out, Jalen Daniels is running around looking like fresh as a daisy, and, and Jason Bean is out there, or I should say, or Jason Bean is out there looking perfectly healthy, and then KU's got weapons, and, and we could get into a shootout like KU had against TCU. But um, I think this defense is even down uh, in the back end, going to be a lot for this KU offense to handle, and I think for KU to win. They're going to have to score at least 40 points, and I, I just don't see this defense giving up 40 points so long as the offense takes care of the football, which they've done a great job of this year. Yep, I agree. I agree. So let's get into the rest of the Big 12. We, we, we both have Kansas State winning against KU. West Virginia, Oklahoma State game I mentioned earlier, a brain on the, a brain on the decline in, in Stillwater. Uh, for senior day at Oklahoma State, they welcome in the Mountaineers, Oklahoma State, an eight-point favorite. I like West Virginia to win this one on the field. How about that? Wow. Yeah, I think this is a brand sharply on the decline. Yeah, I think I think uh, West Virginia is catching Oklahoma State at a pretty good time. Whether Spencer Sanders is out there, I don't think he's going to be a hundred percent. He hasn't been for a while. Um, West Virginia's offense can score some points, as we saw on Saturday. Um, I think un- unless West Virginia is just checked out, and I don't think they are quite yet. I think West Virginia spoils uh, 
just Oklahoma State's opportunity to get to eight wins uh, in the regular season. West Virginia finds themselves going and ending the 2022 season on a relatively high note, winning in Stillwater. Okay. I like Oklahoma State in this game. Uh, eating a little bit of chalk there, I think. Uh, they, I think right now for West Virginia, it's a program that uh, you've been – we were talking about this a little bit off air – with Neil Brown, his status being so uncertain, you don't think that they're going to be able to fire him, really. Well, I was, yeah, we were talking about it, and one thing I like to do is go and obviously I like looking at message board, posing teams' message boards after the wins, and I've been starting to listen to uh, posing teams' podcasts, doing their little recaps after wins, and everybody for West Virginia, and even on Twitter with the dude, they take it as a given that Neil Brown's going to get fired. I don't think he is. Number one, um, who's going to fire him? The president? Yeah. Because they don't have an AD. They don't have an AD. Yeah. Right. And, um, but you see them, and they're already talking like they're in the midst of a coaching search. But you look at Neil Brown's contract, it's going to cost West Virginia like $20 million to fire him. Yeah. And I don't think they have that. I don't think they can afford to fire him. Hence, you fire the guy who gave him the contract extension last year. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I think Neil Brown's going to be their coach next year. Um, and so for better or worse, this thing's lasting at least another year. Um, now of course, maybe they fire, maybe they negotiate something or maybe some West Virginia, uh, booster is willing to cough up the money and pitch it in to make it feasible. But, but right now I'm looking at that number and I'm like, that's pretty darn steep, uh, to be paying someone, um, not to coach you. I mean, that's steep for... Anybody, you don't sure. see very many teams uh, fire coaches who have buyouts close to twenty million dollars. Uh, whether that's Alabama, Notre Dame, A and M, I mean, it just doesn't happen that often. Um, and I just don't look at West Virginia as being a particularly cash-rich program, athletic department where they can afford to toss that money in the trash can. So I think. Um, Neil Brown's sticking around uh, only because of this marriage of circumstance. I think that that's something to keep an eye on for sure. I, I, uh, I'll, I'll take Oklahoma State in this one, but uh, be an interesting game in Stillwater. I want to go out to West Texas, go out to Lubbock. It's all West Texas. And look at Texas Tech Texas hosting Technical. Oklahoma. Interesting game. Oklahoma short two-point favor in this one. Maybe a little bit of a surprise, you know. Oklahoma State, Oklahoma had had some things going right with uh, their recent performance against Oklahoma State, where they were able to take care of their uh, in-state rival there. Well, if your memory is just a little bit longer, uh, that's if things not go right yep. against Western Virginia. Absolutely. So uh, uh, they go back out on the road, where they have not had a whole lot of luck this year, uh, and they take on a, a Texas Tech team that is looking to kind of uh, cap off a, a winning Big Twelve season. Uh, Delhi, how do you like this one going? This one's tough. I, I I really don't know. I mean, on the surface, I think Oklahoma's better. Um, I think that they have some firepower that Texas Tech probably doesn't. Um, but it's hard for me to bet against this Texas Tech team right now, especially at home and especially against a, a bad defense like Oklahoma's. Um, I'm going to take Tech in this one. Um, and that's really just a function of where the game is played. I agree. I'm taking Texas Tech to uh, finish off the season seven and five, and that would cap a six and six year for Oklahoma. Yeah, not uh, great 
for the Sooners and Brent Venables' first year on the job. Well, so. it was kind of a trendy pick coming into the year to say that this Oklahoma team wasn't going to be all that in a bag of chips. Uh, I think their over-under coming into the year was nine and a half. Yep, nine or nine and a <clears> half, depending <throat> on where you looked. And some people thought, you know, that's crazy. Oklahoma wins ten games every year. Um, but I don't think anybody uh, expected it to be quite this low. For them to, to fail to reach that number in the regular season by um, multiple games. And regardless of what happens on Saturday, that's what's going to happen. Um, and so... Uh, really a disappointing year for Brent Venables. And it, you, it's not just that Dylan Gabriel was out, you know, because sure. when they were struggling uh, against TCU and uh, earlier on when they were in Texas, especially when they were really um, kind of in the doldrums there, it was, well, Dylan Gabriel's out and that's why Oklahoma stinks. Oklahoma comes back and they start, it doesn't. It turns around a little bit, but it certainly doesn't look like this is uh, some world beater, or that or that Dylan Gabriel was the cause of all their problems. Because really, I, I think it's defense, which is uh, their main problem. Um, and going and losing in Morgantown a couple weeks ago, I it, devastating. I mean, sure. yeah, they beat up on a hapless Oklahoma State team, but I don't think that's representative of a team that's necessarily fixed. Um, but if they can go out and beat Texas Tech, then that's, I think, a pretty nice road win. Um, but I, I don't think they're going to do it, but close game. The final game that uh, in the Big 12 slate, Oklahoma, or excuse me, Iowa State on the road at TCU. Iowa State uh, eliminated from uh, bowl eligibility at 4-7 and seven coming into this one. TCU, of course, 11-0. Uh, look to cap off an undefeated regular season. And I'll tell you what, don't discount the Cyclones here. And uh, especially with that defense that's going to give them a chance uh, in any game that they play, I think TCU wins this game, and they may even win by two or three scores. But uh, this Iowa State team is going to give them uh, a look on defense that's going to be difficult. And... uh, TCU a 10-point favorite in this one. Delhi, how do you see this one shaking out? Yeah, I think TCU wins this one probably. I mean, and I think they win it pretty comfortably. Um, only because Iowa State's offense is so bad. That I don't know if Iowa State can score 14 points um, against TCU. And I think uh, TCU gets to 30 points. Just how it goes. Yeah. Um, but it's never fun. To, it's never been fun for any team to play Iowa State this year, just because it's um, tends to be low scoring. They're hard hitters, and it's just a very physical matchup, especially Iowa State's defense against your offense. But like you said, I mean, if if Iowa State can can turn them over, um, get some good field position opportunities, and get to a spot where they can put up in the high twenties. Um, by hook or by crook, then yeah, I mean it's it's a game for sure. Um, but I just think that TCU's offense, especially the big play aspect, uh, is where Iowa State's been a little bit vulnerable throughout this year. I mean, we saw it with K State, obviously the the long play on the uh, the first 
was it the first, first snap? Yeah, first drive, and then and then uh, another one with Malik Knowles, and he, he gets poked from behind and right. loses the ball. And that's that's kind of the area TCU likes to operate in, and it's just hard to defend that for 60 minutes. And so I think TCU should be able to score, um, I said 30. I, I think there's no doubt they're going to score 20, but uh, I don't think Iowa State is going to be able to have the horses to keep up with a game that gets into the 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you're, you're not wrong about that. Um, but if they can get some screwy stuff and, and get some turnovers or, or some big special plate uh, opportunities, which they just have not had this year, um, then it could be a game. But like you, it's it's no fun playing Iowa State. And we were talking about this a little earlier. If, if K-State does succeed tomorrow and, and gets to Arlington for a matchup with TCU next week, then... Uh, them coming off the heels of a of sixty minutes of playing Iowa State's what the doctor ordered. Yeah, I think that's something to look at too. And you know, Iowa State's had some success against TCU. Uh, tricky game for TCU, I think. Here coming off of an emotional win last week against Baylor, uh, and with this being the last hurdle to to get uh, that undefeated regular season. A game that uh, TCU fans should be a little bit leery of. So I'll be anxious to see that one. I like TCU to win the game and uh, and finish out that uh, undefeated regular season. But uh, maybe a trickier spot than, than maybe some would think. So, D'Lo, anything else you want to mention here before we wrap it up? Nope. Perfect. Well, partner, great having you on here. Hope to be back next week to preview a uh, K-State TCU Big 12 title game. And uh, look forward to, to having the opportunity to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we uh, take care of business tomorrow and punch our ticket to Arlington where it should be a fun matchup against TCU. All right, well, folks, that'll do it here for this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. As always, be sure to follow us on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast and uh, subscribe uh, to, the, to the podcast wherever you listen, uh, whether if it's Spotify, Apple, or any of the other uh, podcast uh, networks that we're part of. Dilo, great having you on here. Let's uh, let's get it done against KU on Saturday. Yeah, let's roll the purple. All right, well, that'll do it here for this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. As always, thanks for listening, and go Cats!